Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, and our text be verses 10 to 22. Another amazing passage of Scripture that we are privileged to go over. A passage that is referenced in the New Testament, which is why we are indeed studying it tonight. As we've been working through this series that we've been doing in the past number of weeks, we're looking at passages and themes and people within the Old Testament that are referenced in the New. So that when we get to those passages, we know what's going on, we know what the reference is, and we know why the New Testament writer is, is, is bringing it up again. Why he is referencing it. Why he is pointing back to it. This is one of those passages... And this is an amazing passage that as we see this vision, or rather this dream that Jacob has in this, in this portion of God's Word, we see a number of things that are being conveyed through this. Ultimately, it all points to the Lord Jesus, and we'll see that, of course. But it is an amazing thing and a very encouraging truth to see within this passage of how God is absolutely sovereign, that God's providence is moving through the earth. He's intimately involved in every aspect of life, and there is nothing that hinders His love and His care to us. We serve a God who is merciful, the God of all grace, as we read in Scripture. He comes to us at our most troubling times and extends that love and strength to us. Even in times where we have sinned, been deceiving He is still the God who blesses us still with that divine favor. He continues fellowship with us. His fellowship even from His divine throne that is uninterrupted by anything that goes on in this world. He's intimately involved. Sovereign over everything. He's not disconnected. And you see that within this passage. And as we work our way through this, I pray that our senses would be heightened to, under, to understand what is happening here, that these things that are presented to us are true even of today. That through the knowledge that we receive within this passage of Scripture, that we would come to understand even more so of God's intimate involvement within our life and His love and His care over us, His provision for us. And uh, my prayer is that with anything that we are privileged to learn, that we see the practical aspects of it. That it should promote something within us. It's not just a matter of knowing something and just you know, standing in awe of what knowledge that we have received through the scriptures. But it is, it is to promote in us a, a, an intended response to understand God's intimate involvement and His closeness with all that are His. A greater dedication, a greater commitment to Him a greater fear of Him, a greater wonder of Him, of that reverential respect that we ought to have for Him, a doing for Him. There is so much that we need to understand, yes, but what we learn and what we come to understand through God's Word should produce something within us in order to engage our wills for perhaps a greater greater love is what the intent is always. That would, as we come to understand Him more and more, 
that our love for him grows, our delight in him grows, and our obedience for him is even more faithful. So as we work our way through this passage, I pray indeed that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts and produce in us a greater faithfulness unto our God. Let's look at this passage together. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to the Scripture. Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went, to, and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you, that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we again come into your presence to give you praise, honor. We thank you for this portion of scripture. And we pray indeed... That the, that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts, that He would teach us tonight. And Father, how we need Him every moment to illuminate Your Word in our hearts that we can better understand and be able to apply what we learn. Father, we pray that He would move mightily within us, bringing about what change that You desire in us, a greater faithfulness, that You would be pleased. Bless the preaching of Your Word and may it accomplish all You desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So just to catch us up a little bit, last week we were in chapter 22. And we had been going over the offering of Isaac. What an amazing passage of scripture that that was. How it foreshadowed the Lord Jesus it was an amazing passage, to say the least. But much has happened since then. Since we last left off, 
Sarah has died. Isaac has married Rebekah. Abraham has remarried. He is uh, bore six, or his wife, his new wife, had bore him six more children. We read of Abraham's death. Also in chapter 25, he dies at the age of 175. We read of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac, Mary, and Rebekah having two sons, Jacob and Esau, which also for our benefit, uh, I would like to read of that particular instance because it is indeed referenced in the New Testament as well. But in chapter 25, verses 21 to 26, I'll read this real quick. That Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was sixty years old when she gave birth to them. You have the birth of both the sons. You have... Interestingly, Isaac committing treachery, uh, just as Abraham, his father, did. Just as Abraham had done it twice, he went into a city, said that his wife was his sister, and it came about, it was uncovered thereafter, so Isaac does the same thing with another king named Abimelech. Same instance, same sin, same deception. So it's uncovered, of course. They make a covenant together later. And here's some interesting things as well that are leading us up to chapter 28. Now, Jacob had, had convinced Esau to sell him his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that very thing and says that Esau was a godless man who sold his birthright. He despised it, acknowledges that. Now, Isaac, that's important because Isaac is getting ready to die. Jacob is instructed by his mother to then deceive his father into thinking that he is Esau so that he would receive the blessing. So his mother helps him, gets hair on him, all that sort of thing, so that when Isaac hears him speak and Isaac desires to touch him to make sure that he's Esau, that he feels his hands that are hairy and all of that. And so Isaac then blesses Jacob, thinking that he is Esau. Esau hears of what has happened. And so Esau has now decided in his heart that when Isaac is dead and the time of mourning is is past, that he is going to kill Jacob. So Jacob is then sent away by his mom to go to his mom's family, to flee Esau. So he goes away disgraced. He goes away in fear. Esau, his own brother, is trying to kill him. He has deceived him. He's deceived his father. And then as he is on his way, he leaves. He departs from Beersheba. He goes towards Haran. He comes to this certain place, which eventually will be named Bethel, which is almost 50 miles away. 
maybe a two-day journey, maybe a little further. And then we read of how the Lord appears to him in this particular instance. Now, this is, this is a very encouraging passage. Well, it's all encouraging, of course. But this is very encouraging because in the state that, that Jacob is in, after everything that has happened, the Lord is going to appear to him. The Lord is going to confirm his covenant with him. And through this whole ordeal, besides of the many other things that we need to talk about with it, that Jacob is reinvigorated. He's encouraged that the Lord is with him. Even in the midst of his sin. We read first here that when Jacob gets to this city called Luz, that it's getting dark and he has a dream. This dream, in this dream, he sees a ladder. This ladder is described as a ladder that is set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Now, it's not a ladder in the sense of what we think of a ladder today, that it's more like stairs. It's more like a ramp going up to heaven. It is, it is on the earth. And it extends all the way into heaven. As he sees this magnificent vision, this dream, not only does he see these stairs, but he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And then as he looks, he sees above it all, he sees the Lord. The Lord standing above him. The Lord standing over it all. Standing in his divine abode. Now, there are many different ideas, first off, of what the significance was for Jacob. One writer has said this, This is a medium of communication between heaven and earth, by which messengers pass to and fro on errands of mercy. Heaven and earth have been separated by sin. But the latter, the stairs, has reestablished that contact. Through this whole vision that the Lord was securing Jacob, in this critical moment of his life. He was sent into exile, but the Lord had not neglected him. Rather, the graces of God are still being delivered. The graces of God are still being, being carried out by the angelic host, whom the writer of Hebrews says are ministering spirits sent out into all the earth for the faithful. His communication is not absent. It's not hindered. His graces continually come from heaven. His consistent care is symbolized by the presence of the angelic host coming from heaven, going to the earth. There is a constant communication. There's a constant blessing. There's a constant working out of God's providence in it all. The very thing that we can't see, that connection between heaven and earth, is being portrayed in this vision that Jacob is having. You see the employment of the angels in the affairs of providence by the Lord. This vision, this dream that he's having is denoting the very providence of God. The Lord, is, the Lord is high and lifted up here. Nothing is hindered from his care or his provision over his people. And this is such an encouragement then to Jacob. And that is an encouragement to us. That regardless of what was happening in Jacob's life, regardless of what was happening in the life of Esau and, and all of his 
trying to kill Jacob and is planning to kill Jacob. In any of that, the Lord is still high and lifted up. He's still above it all. He's still working out His providence in all the earth, and He's still bestowing graces upon all of His people regardless of what happens. There is nothing that hinders the Lord from his, the outworking of His providence. And He is above it all. What a wonderful picture to see that the Lord is above it all. He's still, he's still overruling and He's reigning. Nothing is hindering it. There is no fear on the Lord's part, regardless of what happens in the earth. There is no anxiousness in, in, in His being. He's directing. He's ordering. All things are going according to plan. And for somebody who's fearful for their life, somebody who has been exiled from his own family because his brother is trying to kill him, that is a great encouragement to know everything is going according to plan. Even when we have been deceiving and sinful, everything is still going according to plan. It's an amazing thing to consider God's providence in all of this because when the sons are being born or right before they're born, it's said to Rebekah then, the older will serve the younger. And then you see how that ends up working out. Jacob, through his deception, has Esau to sell his birthright. And then Jacob, through his deception, receives the blessing of the firstborn son where he would receive the greatest part of the, the estate, become the leader of the, the family as a result of his father's death. You see how even in, in the the sin that is involved in all of that, that everything is going according to plan. And that is, the, that is the majesty of God at work. The greatness of God being seen in it all. That everything that was happening was decreed by the Lord. It was according to His purpose and His plan. He's using secondary means in order to bring it to pass. But everything is plan A and everything has come to pass as God has decreed for it to be. Even in the midst of sin, the sin of his own people, his will is not hindered. Why? Because he is high and lifted up. He's the sovereign one over it all. And that very truth is one that we need to, to really meditate on and let that pierce our hearts and to permeate our thoughts. God is the sovereign one. He is the all-powerful one. And everything is going according to plan. In the life of each individual, everything is going according to plan. In the life of this nation, everything is going according to plan. Because there is nothing in the kingdom of darkness that has any effect on the kingdom of Christ. Ever. He is still the one who is seated on his throne. Ruling and reigning. Directing everything. The angelic hosts are still out delivering the, the graces of God. Ministering to the people of God. All the things that the angels do. There is nothing that is happening within this nation, as godless as it is, 
and we look and we get discouraged at times, we get angry at times, looking at everything that's happening, and we wonder, where's the breaking point? How far is it going to go? But it's going to go as far as the Lord has it to go. Everything will culminate when the Lord decides for it too. Because he is seated on his throne. He's not pacing back and forth. He is governing everything through his divine providence. And those are the very things that are being conveyed to Jacob in his immediate need. To know that God is with him. Nothing is hindered, nothing is affected. And then, not only do you see this dream of this magnificent, this magnificent vision, but then the Lord begins to speak to Jacob. And you have the blessing that he gives. A blessing that is reiterating what he had originally said to Abraham, what he had said to Isaac. He says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. You notice in your Bible, it's all capitals. The sacred name of God, Yahweh. His name, which means the one who exists. The self-existent one. He is the God of your father, Abraham. The Elohim of your father, Abraham. The God of Isaac. Don't miss that, by the way. And that's something that we've talked about before. Anytime that the Lord is is getting ready to command his people to do something, there's always that initial, that initial introduction that the Lord gives. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who delivered you. There is always that reiterating of what the Lord has done and who he is. And he says to Jacob, the deceiver, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. In a critical time in his life, what is it that he hears? What is it that the Lord says? In spite of his sin, in spite of his deception, the Lord has said, Jacob is the one to whom the covenant will go to. Jacob is in the line of the covenant blessing. This land on which you lie, I will give to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. You will encompass all of the land of Canaan, which he is giving. And then he says, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Reiterating again what he said to Abraham. That it's going to be through Abraham, it's going to be through Isaac, it's going to be through Jacob, it's going to be through all the people of Israel who will be the instrument of, of God's blessing to the nations. They are the vehicle in which God will bless all the nations. Saying this to Jacob, again, put yourself where he is. He's alone, he's fearful. What's going to happen? There's a lot of uncertainty before him. 
He's humiliated. And then the Lord says to him, in you and in your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. What a great encouragement that that is for him. What a great source of strength that that is. That the God who rules over all, who is the high and lifted up one, is going to use even him who has sinned so greatly in order to bless the nations. And interestingly, that the one who is speaking to him, who is standing above it all, is the very one who will bless the nations for the giving of himself. He says to him, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. There's a lot of eyes here. The Lord says, I will. I will. Reiterating to Jacob, the covenant promises covenant promises that are based on nothing, grounded in nothing other than the faithfulness of God to do it. He doesn't say to Jacob, if you're good and you you keep doing well, then you and I can make this thing happen. No, this is this is part of the covenant of grace that is that Jacob is 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 part of. He's a recipient of. And it is a covenant which says in spite of yourself, I'm going to achieve this. I will do this. And I will not leave you until I have given you everything that I have promised you. Showing us the faithfulness of God. Showing Jacob the faithfulness of the one who is speaking to him. He will not leave me. He will not abandon me. Rather, he's going to protect me. He's going to to provide what I need. He is going to bless me. He's going to bless my descendants. He's going to bless all the families of the earth. These are the things that he is hearing that the Lord is going to do. And God is faithful. No doubt Jacob learned of the faithfulness of God probably from his, from his father, from his grandfather. That everything the Lord has ever said to either one of them, he has always brought to pass because this is a God who cannot lie. This is a God who doesn't deceive like Jacob does. This is a God who, who doesn't manipulate as so many of us do. This is a God who says it, He performs it, He does it, and there is no backing out. He is faithful to His Word. And this is important because what He has promised to you, the people of God, even today, He is faithful to His Word. Some of the amazing things that you see all through the Scripture is that very thing, the faithfulness of God being put on display. That's what, we look at the Scriptures and we see how the Scriptures are for our instruction and, and for our edification and, and all of these things. And the very thing that you see all through the Scripture is the faithfulness of God put on display. Not one time has He said something and not done it. He has always brought it to pass. Even in the time of disobedience to His people, He was still faithful because He said, if you do this, this is going to happen. 
They did this, therefore, even in his faithfulness, the chastisement and the punishment that he rendered was according to what he said. He's faithful. He's committed. He's committed to you who are in Christ. He is faithful to you. People let you down all the time. We put a lot of stock in people. People will let us down. That's why the New Testament writers emphasize the faithfulness of God. And that's why they say, but the one who believes in Him will not be disappointed. You know, Jacob wasn't disappointed. Because God was faithful to him. This is a God who is holy. Because He is holy, there is no darkness in Him. There is no dark side of Him. There is no manipulative side of Him. There is no deceiving side of Him. But He is the Father of lights. All good emanates from He is only a good God. He is a God who doesn't lie. He has proven Himself to be the faithful, true God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews emphasizes that to us, that we have a sure hope a steadfast hope, an anchor for the soul. In the times in which you are at your critical moment in life, the very things that we should be bringing back to our minds is the faithfulness of God to us. He has promised us in His Son that we would be with Him. He has promised us in His Son that He would never leave us. He has promised us in His Son that through the Spirit of God we have everything that we need to endure. And these are the very things that we need to be reminding of ourselves, reminding each other. Our God is faithful. He is faithful to His Word. Jacob's response to this, in light of everything that he's seen, and the beautiful words that he has heard from the God of his fathers, the passage tells us, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. It's an amazing thing. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. He knew of the Lord through his father, through his grandfather. Here he is in another place. And there is a special manifestation of God to him. God had manifested himself in a special way to Jacob. As Jacob is alone, he was privileged to see the glory of God in this magnificent vision. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. We have the word awesome used here in a correct way, don't we? That which, is, that which causes fear and awe at the same time. When we talk about God being awesome, or how Nehemiah uses that language, the great and the awesome God, that as we understand, as we come to understand as much as we can, the magnitude of the very being of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God, the holiness of God, it causes fear within us. And yet there is still something that keeps drawing us, of which we delight in. 
Jacob had this privilege of seeing the very glory of God. The angels of God ascending and descending. The vision of heaven, of this stairway that led to heaven. And the right response was that he was afraid. Being in the immediate presence of the Holy One, this is the proper response. Fear. This is what happened to Isaiah. When Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, calls down a divine curse upon himself. Woe is me, I'm coming apart, I'm coming undone. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is what happened to John in Revelation chapter 1. The very one who who leaned on the bosom of our Lord at the Last Supper. This is the one who sees the Lord in all of His glory. And what happens? He falls at His feet like a dead man. Until the Lord lays His hand upon him and says, Fear not. This is what happened to Peter. When you had this great miracle of the catch of the fish. And as Peter sees this and he, he understands there's something other with this man. He falls at his feet and says, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. This is what happened to the disciples as a whole when they're on the sea and they're fearful of their life because of the storm. And as Jesus calms the storm, the text tells us that the waves and the sea, the winds, everything went calm. And the disciples were exceedingly fearful. No longer at the storm, but the one who controlled the storm. When God puts His holiness on display, whether in a vision or them being in the immediate presence of Him, in the presence of Christ, it causes fear because we are immediately aware, as Jacob was, of his own sinfulness. Especially in light of what he had done. And yet there were still Something that drew him to the Lord, even even in view of his fear. And that's where that that whole awesome language comes in. That That which causes fear and awe at the same time. This is none other than the house of God. This is holy ground. This is the gate of heaven. And so he arose in the morning. He took the stone that he had put under his head. He set it up as a pillar and he pours oil on it, which is signifying consecration. He makes a vow. He makes a vow unto the Lord. So there's this act of worship on his part. There's a vow on his part. God is going to do these things. He will be my God. I will give him a tenth of it all. You see the right response to the very presence of God. Fear, awe, worship, and commitment. A commitment to to follow the Lord, a commitment to obey the Lord, a commitment to delight in Him. Do you recognize this? That the very stair, the vision of stairs that he sees, this ladder going into heaven, all of this, that is signifying something, obviously. To him, it signifies something, that the blessings of God are coming, that his intimate fellowship with his people are unhindered by anything. 
But the reason that his blessings still come, the reason why he still shows favor, the reason why he was showing favor was because of the one who is the true door to heaven. Jacob says, this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven was the one who was standing at the top. The gate of heaven is the one who, in his humiliation, would add humanity to his being and take the form of a servant. This is the one who says in John chapter 1 that we would see, or the people of God in that day would see the angels of God ascending and descending on him because he is the door, he is the way, he is the path. Because of him is why the blessings of God come to the people of God. Because of him, that's why the provision of God comes to you and the care of God and the strength of God. All of that is through Christ, who is the true ladder. The one who is the only mediator between God and men who connects heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus. Now, Jacob may not have known that in that day. He was given the promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Just as Abraham was. And we know from the book of Galatians that the one who was coming, his seed, singular, was Christ. Christ is the one who unites heaven and earth. Who brings us to God? Christ is the reason why the angels of God are sent out as ministering spirits for those who will inherit eternal life. All the blessings of God come to the people of God only and in Christ because of Him. He is the one who has united you to the God who resides in the heavens. So that by the Spirit of God that now resides in you, you are continually united to the Father and to the Son. The blessings of God continually come to you. His favor is always with you. His love will never depart you. His love will never decrease. That's an important thing to understand too. It'll never decrease. You have the fullness of the love of God towards you right now. And that's the amazing thing to consider. Because the Lord Jesus, who is the object of the Father's love from all eternity, that particular love of which the Father loves the Son is the same love that is extended to you who are in the Son. God is the one who is the sovereign one over your life that nothing happens by coincidence or happenstance and yet in those times that are critical in your life he is the one who is always giving you what you need he is the one who is always providing for you as we come to understand these things we're only skimming the surface we can delve even greater into some of these things, some of these great truths. But what it should promote in us is not like, wow, 
That's, that's really cool. But it should promote us, promote in us a greater adoration and love and commitment to the one who extends that love and that grace and that mercy and that strength and that provision to us. Simply because he's the faithful God, he does it. In spite of ourselves, he does it. Do you recognize what all God has done for you? What he has extended to you in Christ? That he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You have everything that you need because of the Spirit of God that he has granted to you. Everything. Your hope, your peace, your joy, everything you can have to the fullest by the Spirit of God who is with you. You recognize that. And it was granted to you out of pure act of grace. Nothing more. Not anything good in you, but because of a pure act of grace. These truths that we learn are not meant to just stay here, but they're meant to penetrate our hearts and then engage our will. Do you appreciate what God has done for you in Christ? Only you can answer that question. Are you grateful unto the Lord? Not just for the eternal life that you get, but the privilege of knowing Him. That is the very essence of what salvation is. That's how Jesus defined eternal life. That they may know you. You have the privilege of knowing the God of all of everything. The God who created it all. The one who's created it. The one who sustains it by his, by his very power. The God who sustains it all is the one who became incarnate. That in the moments in which he was being beaten, in which he was being tried, in which he was being crucified, he is still the very one who's upholding all things by the word of his power, even in the midst of that. Achieving the very thing that was needed that we may come before the Father. The way that the scriptures have described to us that we may show the Lord our love and our devotion to Him is by living for Him. Is by honoring Him with our very lives. Denying ourselves. Picking up our cross and following. The very things that are commanded of us in scripture are there that we can understand the things that delight the Lord. We do them not out of a duty unto the Lord that we must do this or else He's going to get mad at us, but it should be that these things that we read of in the Scripture are an expression of the holiness of God set forth in the law. We know these things are good. We know that these things are pleasing in the sight of God. Therefore, let us do them in order to demonstrate our love, not to gain His love, to demonstrate His love. And in light of everything that God has done for us in Christ, this is a very small thing for us to do. To simply show our gratefulness and our love and our commitment to Him. He has done so much. What more, what more would He have to do? He has given you everything in the Son. The greatest gift that God has ever given was Christ. 
And for you who have received him, that means you've received the greatest gift in existence. He is worthy of every ounce of our being for all that he's done. So I pray that as we come to understand these things more fully, this would indeed engage us even more and promote in us a greater desire for the glory of our God. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we again come before you to give you thanks for all that you are, all that you've done for us in Christ. We honor you, not simply because of what you have done for us, but because of who you are. Regardless of, of you ever extending any grace to us, any mercy to us, you are worthy of praise simply because of who you are. Father, thank you that through your Son we have the privilege of knowing you and of serving you, of being loved by you. Father, let, it, let, let these truths penetrate our hearts and promote in us a greater desire for you and a greater delight in our Lord Jesus. And it would cultivate in us a greater desire to live for you, to honor you with our very lives. And we pray that the Spirit of God would move in us mightily to bring about these things, to shape us and to mold us, to allow us to stand in awe of our great God and Savior. Father, have your way with us and do a mighty work within us. Father, we love you because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention, and you are dismissed.